Boom, put boom, 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 well, hello. Hello. It is another. It was like a sad. That was like a sad howl. That was a sad howl. I'm sorry. Hello. It was a howl. Well, I feel like it's a howl. Isn't it a howl? It was just her saying, "It's it's Mrs. Doubtfire," just in her little high pitched voice. Hello. A howl. I feel like it's. I mean, I feel like that's really close, but yes, you're right. It's, we're, it's a Mrs. It's a Mrs. Doubtfire thing. Semantics, semantics, semantics. <laughs> I just didn't come with enough energy. I kind of felt bad. <laughs> um. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Here we are with another uh, A side B side podcast. I still have this like, what is this like? Six weeks now? Four weeks? Five weeks? I don't know. I've lost count. I feel like it's gonna be with me forever. It's it stuck around for a long ass time. Like I feel fine. Like I feel a hundred percent. I'm not congested or anything. It's just every once in a while I get this cough and then my throat gets a little bit raspy and I clear it and then I'm good. <laughs> but I, I mean, which does feel like very inconvenient for your job, right? But I have been hearing that like most people. Um, the their their coughs or whatever have been sticking around for a while. Whatever this is that has gone around has stuck around for quite some time. Because yeah, I've taken several COVID tests, like I told you before, come back negative. I even went home, yeah. with family, nobody got sick from that. And and my mom, trust me, if anybody was gonna get sick, it would have been her. I tease her. I told her the other. <laughs> I was like, literally somebody could be driving past your house and sneeze and you get sick because she literally gets sick so easily. I mean, maybe, maybe this is just the natural, like we've, we're not COVID, but we're all kind of still learning how to deal with the, like, you know, like not everybody gets the cold full bore, mm-hmm. but they kind of get the, the sniffles, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is like next year, none of us will have this. But this is like the last year where we're all like our body's been like, okay, we're not going to get sick, but we're still kind of annoyed. This would be, I would be very happy if it didn't come around next year. So uh, anyway, uh, since we last talked, oh, the Grammys happened this past weekend. They did. I watched none of that, which that's on me. Doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> um, I don't even know they happened, yeah. I do love the fact that Jay, Jen and Ben have been memed all over the place. Um, because he just looks like the typical miserable spouse at white at his uh spouse's work event. Like yeah. I was forced to go to this thing and I really didn't want to. And like there's one like video where he says something, he obviously says something inappropriate. What kind of in- inappropriate we don't know. And she smacks him and doesn't realize like the TV is there. Uh, in the camera, <laughs> Noah, the host, was like sitting right next to her doing his skit or whatever, his speech, like in between awards. And so she like, he says, he leans over in her ear, says something, and she's like backhands his chest like, oh, stop it. And then she realizes the camera is right there. And then she like sits up and like laughs like she's been paying attention the whole time. It's really pretty funny. I honestly feel like that was the most human moment for the entire thing. Because, like, yes. every couple's been there. 
We're like, you got to go to your friend's wedding, your, your spouse's friend's wedding or this event. And you don't really want to be there. You've had a long week. And like, so I read an article from Entertainment Weekly, which maybe not the most journalistic uh, source in the world, but they had hired a <laughs> lip reader, which is also not the most journalistic source in the world. Right. But in that, in that interaction, they were like, he's like, yeah, I don't really want to be here. This is lame. And she's like, stop it. Smile. Do better. And then she realized that the camera's on. It was like, everything is great. But like, honestly, you know what? That does make sense, though. That is the most human reaction. Like Mm -hmm. that is that is a real couple right there. Like, right. I I now believe they're actually in love. Yeah, exactly. Because that's (laughs) that's like that's the only you only reserve that for the people that you really care about. Yeah. Like if, if, if this was all for show, she wouldn't she wouldn't be like, hey, like, come on, we talked about this. And he right. wouldn't feel comfortable being like, I told you I hate this. Right. Like, that's that that's like a real relationship that we just caught on camera. <laughs> I'm like, I'll, I'll be honest. Any, like, high school function that I've been at in the last three years, I have two high schoolers. There is a couple that is going through the same thing. They just don't have a camera. Well, they might. It might just be an iPhone. You don't know. It might be an iPhone, but they're not going to be put on TMZ. Right. This is just two people like one of them didn't want to be there, and we've all gone through that. And in a weird way, like I feel like at first everyone was like, "Oh, look, all the drama," and I think it actually made them both more relatable. I just find it hilarious, relatable, not relatable. I just think it's funny. It's just I think it made them more real. You know, like the weird thing about Ben Affleck is like he he was this like movie star. And in the last 10 years, we've had so many like moments where we've caught him being real on accident. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually helped him. Hmm. Like whether it was like the like smoking the cigar or smoking the cigarette outside of a, you know, casting moment and like you got the picture where everyone is like, this is a meme. Or mm-hmm. when he was doing the whole Batman and Superman thing where he was just kind of staring off at this. It's like, I really hate this job. Mm-hmm. And then here he's like, I, I love my spouse. But I also don't want to be here. Yeah. It is pretty funny. Um, <clears throat> we've also seen this week Tom Brady posing in his underwear. Tom, go back to football because no, this is not it. That's no, nobody. Wants okay. It. But he all, but he, but he, to, to his credit, he said if this, like when Brady Brand came out last year, he said if this gets so many likes, I'll do the same like post. And he followed through. I don't care. Don't do it. Nobody wants to see I it. I mean, he got dragged. Yeah, he did. And but but by by the weirdest like middle aged white guys on Instagram. No, he got dragged by everybody. It wasn't just middle aged white guys. There was one dude who 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 showed up on Reddit as like trying a little too hard to, to tell Tom to move his hand. It seemed very aggressive. It was just very weird, and he looks unhealthily skinny i mean he's an athlete who is what was he like 41 42 somewhere in there yeah like i don't know like he, he doesn't look fat i guess i guess as a 42 year old male i'm like all right tom good job man no he looks unhealthily skinny <clears throat> really 
He's an athlete. Okay, put him next to all the other football players. They don't look that skinny. Well, no, but he's a quarterback. Like, okay, so like, let's put him next to Josh Allen or um, Joe Burrow. Oh, jo- Patrick yeah, but they're also they're also like twenty five foot six. Yeah, but they're not skinny either. No, but those guys can eat like an entire cheesesteak and not gain any weight. When you're forty two, you're gonna get gain weight. You're so he's, he's trying not my to get point. Realize that, right? You're proving my. I do no. I, I'm just saying, like, I feel like he's probably trying a little too hard not to gain weight. <laughs> um. Anyway, so let's see. Uh, what else I think has happened? This I time? think we're on, we're on the I think we're on the same side. We're just very different ways of coming at it from different angles. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anything else happen? Uh. I don't. I don't. Uh, I've I've been working a lot. So that was fun. Um, there was a whole like LeBron James thing where he became the oh, yeah. number one scorer of all yeah. time. <laughs> That's right. He's got the new record now. Yeah. I watched the entire, well, no, I did not watch the entire game. I watched until he got the record. And then, mm-hmm. like everybody else, I turned it off mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, ah, I don't really care if it's like twin. But it was, it was a really fun game. And like, I felt a little bad for the mm-hmm. guy because like that. It was not an easy shot. So the last shot that he makes to get the record, right? It's like they step back, fade away. It's a great shot. You can only be an amazing basketball player to make that shot. Mm-hmm. But I kind of felt bad for the kid who is the one guarding him. Mm-hmm. Who he's he did a great like he did good defense. Mm-hmm. Like he has nothing to be ashamed of. But like for the rest of his life, when they show the basket that became the world record, like the all-time scoring record basket, he's going to be the guy in the picture. And to his credit, he was like, actually, that's kind of cool. Like, Kendrick Williams was like, you know what? I did my best. This is all-time great player. He made a tough shot over me. But I get to be the guy that's in that picture with him forever, and that's kind of cool. And I was like, that is, that's the right way to handle That is the right. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it, it it was history. I mean, I think it was weird that the game stopped for like ten minutes and they did like a ceremony and everything, and they were like, "Oh yeah, there's a whole rest of the game to play." Like, don't do that. Wait to the end. <laughs> Very weird. Maybe they like can you imagine if they wanted to get it done before everybody was too tired. Well, also like they knew that everybody would stop watching the moment he got the record. Yeah, it was all for TV. But can you imagine like you're at a Wendy's and all of a sudden like. In the middle of your order, somebody's like, "This person has now taken more orders than anybody else at Wendy's ever." Let's let's have a speech, and they'd be like, "I don't really want to give a speech," but like, "No, you have to give a speech," and you'd be like, "I just want to order some food." <laughs> so I feel like it was embarrassing for everybody. Like even LeBron didn't seem like he was into it. He was like, "This is a great honor," but also like, "Oh, this is awkward." We still got a whole game to play. But you didn't watch the rest of the game. I did not. Because I didn't care about because mm-hmm. I'm not a Lakers fan or a Thunder fan. So you I just wanted to see history. The point. Like it made sense. Everybody they knew everybody was concerned about. I mean, like, I will watch a game, a baseball game that I'm not interested in if somebody's got a no hitter going. But then when the first hit gets let up, I'm gonna change the channel. Okay. So it makes sense that they were all like, oh yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll do this whole thing. But I, they didn't need to bring out everybody on the court, speeches. And like, it felt a bit much. 
Okay. Well, congrats to LeBron. Um, congrats to Tom on his retirement number two. Keep the undie picks to yourself. I know Robert, was it Robert Kraft wanted him to um, sign with the Patriots again? Uh, 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 yeah, the Patriots again for one day and then retire as a Patriot. But I guess he clearly didn't want to do that. Also, I think that is such a ridiculous thing. Like, that's just dumb. Like, if he wanted, to, he wanted to retire him. Patriot? Yeah. yeah. Like, if you want, if you want to him to retire Patriot, then, like, don't let him go. Right. Right. You know? Exactly. Like, I, he has to say that because he's going to get maybe, like, five more season tickets holders to buy stuff. But whatever. That's silly. Like, I hate those one-day contracts. Oh, he retired at da da No, he didn't. Like, I could sign a one-day contract with the Harvard Globetrotters. Didn't mean that I actually played for the Harvard Globetrotters. Like, that right. doesn't. Right. No one would believe it. They wouldn't be like, oh, he was super good at dribbling because they'd never see me dribble. <laughs> Not good at dribbling. Anything. Oh, um, at the end of the month, or I shouldn't even say the end of the month, next week, next Sunday, uh, the Grand Ole Opry is doing a tribute to Leslie Jordan. Um, really? Yeah. And it's, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's um. Oh boy, but it's going to be at the Grinnell Opry and there's going to be artists like Marin Morris and Jeff Roll and Ashley McBride and Brothers Osborne are going to be there to perform at the tribute. And then, <clears throat> and then um, there's supposed to be like some other special stories. Reporting for Duty is what's called Reporting for Duty, a tribute to Leslie Jordan. And it's going to be filmed at Opry. And I'm truly hoping that they film it for television i think they should i think that'd be really fun like there has to with all of the streaming services and the networks and all the stuff that we have yeah there has to be somebody that says there's an audience for this because there truly is absolutely there is or they wouldn't be doing it (sighs) no so um yeah so hopefully like i said they'll they'll uh they'll film it and put it on television um, I've got some friends still in Nashville, so I'm going to do some inquiring and see. Um, but Well, if you get like a dodgy copy, let us know. We'll just put it up on the A-side, B-side podcast at Squared. So. <laughs> um, I think that's all I got. All right. Well, and this is, the, today is, is your, you're up first. So. so that means I get to start. Yeah. So one, this- two, three, simple as A, B, C. Now, last time we did that, you, um, you. Know, I stopped us because I didn't want us to get sued. Um, this week we're actually going back to the ladies. All the ladies, all the ladies. <laughs> it's really single ladies. But... I, see, I love how like our brains work. Like you went single ladies. I was like the moment in Hamilton where he's like, he's prolific with the ladies. <laughs> um, this week we are talking about. Margie Velma Barfield, aka Velma, is what she went by. Vel- yeah, so just let's just recap. She was saddled with both Margie and Velma. And Velma, yep. She was one of nine kids. She was born. Um, this is going to be very weird. So she's born October 29th of 1932. Okay. Now keep okay. that. Well, I'll I'll try to remind you again of that date. Uh, no, uh, October 29th is the is the date okay 1932 but 1932 yeah 29 
So she was born in South Carolina, in rural South Carolina, <clears throat> excuse me, but she was raised in um, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Velma actually began a life of crime pretty early. She began stealing from her dad when she noticed in school that she kind of looked and had different things from her classmates and she kind of wanted to enjoy like the same small luxuries as them. So she's mm -hmm. stealing yeah. from her dad and it was a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time until she finally decided to up the ante one time and took uh, 80 bucks from a neighbor. Dad In the 1930s? Uh-huh. Imagine right. how much money that was in the nineteen in the nineteen thirties. I'm not up with the exchange rate, but that was a lot. Even in the early forties, let's say she's a teen in the early forties. That's a lot of my eighty bucks is still a good amount of money. So imagine I get you a house at that point. <laughs> I don't even think I'm joking. I like I'm not joking. <laughs> I, think that, I think that is literally you could buy a house in the nineteen thirties for eighty bucks. <laughs> I should have, um, you know what? You should do the calculation on that real quick. Right. Um, okay, so her dad finds out that she takes this $80 from a neighbor and he tears into her. He beats her, but not like a, oh, I'm going to spank you. He beat her. So that was the end of her uh, criminal period. <clears throat> she gave up the life of crime right then. Podcast over at A-side. B side done time for A side. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, her father that wasn't the only time that he was very physically abusive. He was physically abusive constantly, and her mom, Lillian, um, actually knew about it and never intervened. So she, I mean, also again, that's it's different time period 1940s, like, like spare the rod, spare the child sort of scenario, but oof. Yeah, but still, there's a difference in sparing the rod, sparing the spare the rod, spoil the child, and I'm gonna beat your butt. I mean, it's it's usually context. True. Um. So eager to get away from this all, she drops out of high school and she marries her high school sweetheart. <laughs> Excuse me. His name is Thomas Burke. <clears throat> They marry in 1949. The two of them um, have, she's 17 years old. They have two children together. And she begins working at a textile, a textile plant. And they're having a happy life, happy wife, happy life, happy husband. I don't know the expression for that. But anyway, <laughs> she gets, <laughs> is there an expression for a happy husband? Uh, I don't think there happy is. Wife means it's happy just, husband, probably. Uh, probably, like <laughs> happy wife, happy life is the expression. I mean, for a reason. I mean, the the sad part is that no one's really concerned about the the man's happiness because he's already got all the control anyway. So we that should one. not be control. We should not be concerned about his happiness because he should be happy anyway. There you go. There you go. So <clears throat> all is good with the the family until. She gets really sick and she ends up having to go to the emergency room. By the way, if you looked at $80 from 1940 and it, you compared it to 2023, that's $1,990. I love how we're looking at the exact same site right now because it's, I was going to say the same, but at 98 cents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. All right. 
I mean that, but that is like that is a like honestly like that it does that I don't think that fits like how important that money would have been in that time because yeah. when you say it's two thousand dollars yeah that's a lot of money but like two thousand dollars of buying power that's in nineteen forty that's a big deal yeah all right this isn't like she grabbed she grabbed a fiver from somebody's wallet like she took two grand. She, yeah, she took two grand, basically. So um, she gets sick, ends up in the emergency room, and ends up, she has to have a hysterectomy. And as with many women, it made Velma feel really insecure about her womanhood. She began taking Valium and Librium, and the impact on her actually impacted the whole house. Unhappy wife, unhappy life. And yeah, mother's, mother's little helper didn't always help. Yeah. So her husband starts drinking and they start arguing all the time. And it's just constant bickering and drinking and bickering and drinking. And she's taking Valium and Librium. So argument after argument ensues. So on April 14th of 1969, after one particularly brutal argument, so this is 20 years into their marriage, Velma leaves the house with her children and she leaves her husband, um, Thomas, behind. Well, when they return, the house burned down to the ground, and Thomas is dead. So I'm just gonna, I'm just going to toss this out there. Like the the way that the story is written is that her taking the medication made his drinking a problem. Odds are, historically, his drinking was already a problem, Probably. and it just. It already be, it just became a problem because now she wasn't going to stand for it. You know what? I would not put that. I would put validity into that. I would say yeah, you're probably right. He probably was yeah. already drinking, and it just probably got to the point with her. She was like, you know what? F you. Yeah, so, she's she finally started saying no, and then mm-hmm. that became a problem. Uh, yeah, he didn't like that. So she returns home. The house is burnt down. Her husband is gone. Velma and the kids move back in, uh, move back home with her parents. And then she meets a guy named Jennings Barfield. He's a fellow widower. And the two began dating. And in 1970, they marry. Also, can we just like get a new coffee mug that says, don't trust a guy with two last names? <laughs> Jennings Barfield. <laughs> well, it's not him we got to worry about. I'm just saying, solo trust. <laughs> So less than a, me- a year into their marriage, Jennings Barfield dies on March 22nd, 1971 from a heart attack after an argument with Velma. So Velma and the kids move home yet again. This time when they're home, her father passes away from lung cancer. Oh. In 1974, Lillian, her mom, starts showing signs of severe sickness she's got intense diarrhea she's vomiting she's nauseous all the, all the time and then i mean sometimes i just mean you had too much cheese you had what too much cheese <laughs> it's a little bit more than lactose intolerance so say, we've all been there she recovers a couple of days later and then later again during the christmas season lillian gets sick yet again same symptoms She's got intense diarrhea, vomiting, nausea, and I think it's a bit more than eggnog. 
and cheese balls from the Christmas she's she ends up in the hospital like she's admitted to the hospital and she dies like within hours of being admitted to the hospital she dies on december 30th of 1974 damn so now lillian uh excuse me now velma there's no lillian there's no dad um now velma is off on her own with her kids and she's got to make a way right she's got no husbands she's got no parents so I guess she's going to have to figure it out and do what she has to do. So in 1975, she gets convicted on seven counts of writing bad checks, and she's sentenced to six months in prison. She gets out after three. I'm guessing time. Hey, good. Yeah, good, good, good behavior. behavior. Good behavior. Yeah, yeah, also, she's a mom with kids. Mm-hmm. So in 1976, she gives up the whole bad check writing deal and she starts caring for the elderly so she's working for uh, a couple montgomery and dolly edwards there you go another two last name montgomery edwards um <laughs> in lumberton north carolina all of a sudden montgomery gets really really sick same symptoms vomiting diarrhea he passes away on January 29th of 1977. Well, you would think this is not this is not the notebook, but you would think that this might be because just a little bit after uh, her husband passes, like a month, Dolly starts getting really bad symptoms. I mean, that is that is like the most common thing. Like if two people have been together forever, if one of them passes, the other one passes within six months. It's, it's right. just like statistics. Yeah. You think it's, oh, I died of a broken heart, but mm, is it though? So Dolly experiences all those same symptoms and she passes on March 1st. So like about a month later, just literally because February is what, 28 days, he passes January 29th. So like a month later, 30 some odd days later. I mean, that's the ironic part of being like old and single is I'm just going to die on my own terms. I'm not going to die to somebody else. <laughs> so after, excuse me. So after the passing of Montgomery and Dolly, well, now she's out of a job. So Velma has to get a new job and she takes a job as a caretaker again, this time for 76 year old uh, record Lee. Record had a broken leg and needed some help. Well, on June 4th of 1977, uh, Record's husband, John Henry, he start getting he he starts getting pains in his stomach and his chest, and then there's vomiting and there's diarrhea, and then John Henry passes away. Well, in the midst of all this work and murder, she starts dating. She starts dating a guy named Roland Stewart Taylor. He's actually a relative of Dolly Edwards. Well, unfortunately, Velma <clears throat> hadn't given up the life of crime of bad check writing. And it seems that... Well, Stewart, yeah, she's got all these like checkbooks from dead people like <laughs> right. in the 70s. It seems that Stuart somehow caught on to the fact that Velma was writing bad checks. He had discovered she was writing bad checks. And so in order to... I guess, prevent him from ratting her out. She mixes arsenic-based rat poison into his beer and his tea. 
so like just if there was a guy with a name that you would think would catch on to a check writing scheme, it's Stewart, it right? Stewart. 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 <laughs> like Stewart feels like a guy that like pays attention to the to the ones and zeros. <laughs> Sorry, mad TV moment. Um, so now mind you, so all of that poison obviously is gonna take effect and uh, Stewart ends up passing away February 3rd of 1978 while she's trying to nurse him back to hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Right. She was. Yeah. Well. I was like, here's some, have some more orson. That'll help you. Here's some more beer and tea, honey. <laughs> so, of course, uh, he passes. He has a funeral. And it's after his funeral, an anonymous call was placed to the police tipping them off to Barfield and the investigation um, that it leads to an investigation and she's arrested after her arrest the bodies of Jennings the body of Jennings Barfield was actually exhumed and it was found to have traces of arsenic in its system mm-hmm. when she's confronted with this she denies it no I didn't do it I didn't do it I didn't do it it was in the water it was what it was already in the it was in the water. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't me. Um, so of course <clears throat> she's tried, she's convicted, but she's only tried and convicted not for the murder of Jennings, um, Jennings Barfield, her husband. She's actually tried and convicted for the murder of her boyfriend, Stuart, Stuart Taylor. <laughs> so she's sent to the central prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, an area for escape-prone prisoners and mentally ill prisoners. There's no area for women under death penalty sentences at the time because she was sentenced. Oh, boy. She was tried, convicted, and and, uh, sentenced to death. That doesn't seem safe. There was, right? There was no area uh, for women under the death penalty, and she was the state's only female death row inmate. A death row uh, unit for females in North Carolina was established at the North Carolina Correctional Institution for Women. While she's on death row, Velma becomes a devout Christian. Her last few years, she spent uh, min- uh, you know, ministering to other prisoners. And mm-hmm. if you're big into this, this is a big deal. Billy Graham even praised her for her devotion and her conviction. I mean, I feel like if you're on death row, you have no choice but to decide that there is something else bigger than you and, like, do everything you can to mitigate your circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So her involvement in the ministry, it was so intense and so involved that there was even an effort to get her her death sentence commuted to life. So here we have cause and effect. I've become a good person. Someone Therefore, will help let save. me live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's an appeal. The first appeal doesn't go through. A second basis for the appeal <clears throat> um, was the testimony of Dorothy Atnow Lewis, who is a professor of psych- uh, psychiatry. And she was at New York University School of Medicine. And she was also apparently an authority on violent behavior. And she says that Velma suffered from dissociative identity disorder. She actually testified at her appeals trial that she had spoken with Velma, uh, Velma's other personality, Billy, who told her, who told Dorothy that Velma had been a victim of sexual abuse 
and that Billy had killed her abusers. The judge didn't buy it. Good. So the judge says, one of them did it. I don't care which one. <laughs> wow. That is the most North Carolina judge statement I've ever heard. <laughs> so that, that is like straight out of battle. Right? One of them did it. One I don't of them did it. I don't care. <laughs> They're all in that body. So we're killing the body. Her appeal is denied in federal court, and she tells her further her attorneys that she's she's done. She's done trying to appeal um, because they were going to try to take it to U.S. court, and she's like, no, forget it. She uh, sucks it up, and she is ready to face her sentence. So she is executed on November 2nd of 1984. Now, I'm going to come back around. Remember what I said her birth date was? I, I wish I did, but I'm bad at listening because I'm a middle-aged white man. October 29th. She was executed. So almost. No. She made it. She was executed days after her birthday. Oh, okay. I, I heard uh, so she was born on October 29th. She was executed on what? November 2nd. November 2nd. That's, yeah. that, that's a harrowing day anyway. Yeah. So she's executed days after her birthday on November 2nd of 1984. Uh, she's 52 years old when she passes. She's executed at Central Prison. Before her execution, she releases a statement and she says, I know that everybody has gone through a lot of pain, all the families connected, and I'm sorry. And I want to thank everybody who's been supporting me these years. Uh, we do know that her last meal was a meal of cheese doodles and Coca-Cola. She was buried in a- That's, That is not even a meal. <laughs> that's what she wanted <clears throat> that is a snack she was buried in a small rural North Carolina cemetery near her first husband that she murdered Thomas Burke I don't think he was excited about that he's like oh yeah you imagine like you know, the first husband in, in death the ghost is like really come on no, <laughs> no don't right, right. it. Um, her execution actually raised some political controversies when Governor Jim Hunt who challenged incumbent Governor Jesse Helms for his U.S. seat, rejected uh, Velma's um, request for clemency. There is a- I, I feel like it, yeah, it's understandable that like any execution would create controversy. Right. There's actually a song about Velma. So there's a singer and songwriter, his name is Jonathan Bird. He's actually the grandson of Jennings Barfield and his- first wife that passed away because remember Jennings was um, a widower his song mm. is from his album Wildflowers and it gives a personal account of the murders and the investigation and that dear friends is the story of Velma Barfield the what she's like the first woman um, in the U.S. to be executed after they resumed capital punishment in 1976 and the first since 1962 and also the first woman to be executed by lethal injection. And it does feel like, I don't know, like people thought that would be better, but it feels like it's worse, right? I, I hear stories about how bad it is. Because, like, it doesn't always work. Like, I mean, and maybe this is just because I watched NCIS this week, but, like, there's no oops in guillotine. No, and you feel like you're like suffocating. It's like drowning you. Oh, yeah, it just sounds yeah. brutal. A lethal injection sounds like the worst way to go. Yeah, like guillotine, like 
that's over in a second. I mean, granted, you got to bury in two places, but still. Not necessarily. You put them back together. I guess you can put them back together. So, a little bit more cleaner. But yeah, there you go. That's the B side. So, on the A side, we're going to talk about one of my favorite uh, movies that everyone else hates. And I know, I know what you're saying. Adam, we do this a lot. <laughs> because you like movies that no one else likes. And I know. I don't I don't get it. I like I like most things that are movies. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I like weird things. And I especially have a soft spot for actors who I thought were going to be massive stars. Mm-hmm. And when they don't become massive stars, I do not understand it. And I keep trying to find out why it, it happened. And honestly, this was a good this was a good experience for me. Because okay. I actually delved into a lot of the things and in interviews that this star has said mm-hmm. about not wanting to be a star. And now I understand it. Do I accept it? Eh, not as much but i get it and sometimes somebody doesn't become a huge star because i don't think they really wanted to be a huge star even though everything in their background said that they should have been tom cruise instead of tom cruise so we're talking about a 2012 film that came late in this actor's career that is now more infamous for its lawsuits oh. than the actual film, but is a movie that I still love to this day. A movie that, yes, I did it again. I own on DVD, and you cannot watch for free on streaming right now. But as of April of is 2022, of the no, 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 the lawsuit was finished in 2015. Uh, in April of 2022, it was the number one streaming movie on Netflix. Oh. Netflix had like a short-term contract on the film and it's moved on to other things. You can only buy it on YouTube or Amazon Prime or uh, I think also uh, Vudu has it and Roku as well. But it is not readily available for free. Okay. So I did it again. I'm sorry. But $2.99 is worth it for a movie that I love and that everyone else hates. Imagine, if you will, a sci-fi film where you have a rogue CIA agent who's been accused of murder and being a mole. But he is the only one that can save the president's daughter, who is now on a space station, which is also a maximum security prison where everyone is kept in suspended animation, which drives them insane. And the president's daughter goes there to visit the the facility to see if this is humane and finds out, no, it is not, because they're all insane. Mm -hmm. She gets kidnapped, and the the prisoners take over the space station jail. The insane And the only one... The insane prison, yes. The only one that can save them is this rogue CIA agent played by one of my favorite actors ever. From the moment that I saw him on a movie that I was not supposed to see in 1995, 
which was to Wong Fu, thanks for everything. The movie. Amazing movie. And then would go on to be the best performer in both LA Confidential and Memento, who played the only likable version of the most horrible character in my favorite book of all time, The Count of Monte Cristo, which is an underrated movie, but it doesn't work because you can't make The Count of Monte Cristo a two-hour movie. I've said this before. It has to be, like, there are many things that I would do if I won a billion dollars. And one of them is do a full-scale reboot of Chess, the musical. That will happen. Number two, I would make... Wait, who the musical? Chess, the musical. It's an entire A-side, B-side segment that I would refuse to do because it's too close to my heart. I haven't done it. But Chess, the musical is my favorite musical of all time. It is an allegory for the Cold War based on chess, but also really about personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Number two, I would immediately find someone at HBO or... Amazon Prime or Apple TV, I would give them, like, the money that they gave to Amazon Prime for the, the Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings prequel, mm-hmm. I would, if I was a billionaire, I would match that money and say, just give me a 15 episode breakdown of The Count of Monte Cristo. And mm-hmm. you have to spend six episodes in jail. Because when you read the book, you spend several hundred pages in jail. So by the time you get out of jail, you're also ready for revenge. Right. And that is the number one thing that has always failed in all of the movies. Because they skip over it. It's like a 20-minute thing. And like, whatever. It doesn't really matter. You're not angry enough. If you spend six weeks in jail with the characters, now you're angry. That's always been missing. Even though the 2002 version of Count of Monte Cristo was actually quite good. Amazing cast. Jim Caviezel. Uh, it has uh, Henry Cavill as sort of the, the young, you know, like surrogate son that becomes the kind of Monte Cristo son because Fernand, uh, who's played by Guy Pierce, is the bad guy. But instead of like destroying him, he just like becomes the surrogate dad, which is a way better revenge. It's like, I would like to kill you, but instead I'll become a better dad to your kid, which that's some deep stuff right there. Mm-hmm. That is a better revenge. So Guy Pierce just had this career that i thought was going to take off never really did he's had some great films he's been nominated for stuff he has been acting in australia he was traditionally he was born in england and i did not realize this until i did research for this segment but his father was a fighter pilot and they're visiting australia and his at three years old, his father is given the opportunity to come to Australia and be a test pilot for their most expensive and scary and potentially dangerous jets. Mm-hmm. And his father takes takes the job, and then his father also dies being a test pilot. So Guy Pierce literally has a better backstory. For becoming Maverick than Tom Cruise does. Yeah. And they're roughly the same age, which is kind of crazy. Uh, he go out, goes on to become a, a weightlifter at some point. I guess at 16, he was a bodybuilding champion in Australia at his, his weight level. He wasn't swole, but he was very like lean. He has this whole background where he has all of the, this, 
all these things that should have made him want to be a star. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, he kept avoiding stardom. Like he gets cast in uh, you know, the, the big movie in 1994. He gets you know LA Confidential in 1997. He's in Memento in 2000. As kind of Monte Cristo in 2002. He's getting like he gets Oscar nominated in, from LA Confidential in 97. So he's getting just like all of these scripts thrown his way. And the one thing that I did not realize about his personal family history is he has an older sister. And his older sister, who grew up without a father as well, because he, his fa- the father died in 1976, I believe. Uh, his mom's been around, but his older sister was developmentally disabled. And so he decided that he didn't want to be a star because he already had people that took care of and as long as like he could do things that he enjoyed mm-hmm. and have enough money to take care of his family like he didn't want to be a star and even in the 2000 like early 2000 2002 2003 there's all these interviews where people are like like you're on the this precipice of like being a huge star he was offered daredevil which then went to ben affleck we've already mentioned in this podcast too i ben affleck also didn't want to be at the at the grammys last night but i don't think he really wanted to be in daredevil either because he had kind of the same face the entire time uh guy pierce was offered that he was offered tons of like big hollywood blockbuster roles and he never took them and part of that was he wanted to be with his family he wanted to stay in australia he wanted to work when he could but he did a lot of work in Australia, but also would take occasional roles that he found interesting. And that is why it shocked me where we are 10 years after his sort of peak of getting offered anything in Hollywood. Where like in 2000, like Daredevil came out in 2003. So 2002, he's offered Daredevil, which before the MCU, like it was a big deal still to get offered a superhero movie as a lead. And he turned it down. So 12 year, 10 years later, in 2012, this movie comes out that is totally different from anything that he's really done. It is an action film. It is sci-fi. It is not claiming to be very like deep. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. <clears throat> and I was so excited. Because in my brain, I saw him this role come out, and I saw the previews, and I was like, oh my gosh. Here we finally are. Like, Guy Pierce is going to be an action star. Like, he 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 wanted to do all these other things, but now he's kind of doing the Liam Neeson thing, where like, Liam, Liam Neeson was like an actor, and then he did Take It. And this is from the producers of Take It. So this is Guy Pierce just being like, give me the check. I'm going to have fun. And I was so excited. And I do love this movie. In fact, I was so excited when this movie came out that I, this is the early days of Twitter, like the last, like the first two, three years of Twitter. And I won a t-shirt responding to retweeting a, you know, ad for the show, like retweet this, you'll get a t-shirt, which I still have today, which is in my rotation that I wear probably every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love it. But no one knows that this movie exists. In fact, when people see me wear the t-shirt, and the t-shirt literally says lockout, uh, caution offensive, people are like, oh, that's basically you. And I'm like, yes, it is. But also, it's a movie that you should probably watch. 
Lockout is the story of a rogue CIA agent who has to rescue the president's daughter from a maximum security prison that is in space. It is diehard in space, and it is also way, way too close to the plot line of both John Carpenter's Escape from New York and Escape from L.A., which we'll get to in a second. The movie itself is well done. And I mean, I love Luke Besson. First Element is one of my favorite movies. I would have also married Mila Jovanovich if I had the chance. So I love most of the things that Luke Besson has done. He was the executive producer of the film. The directors were brand new. It feels clunky at times. But it is Die Hard on a space station. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. And like the supporting cast is so good. And like they they get everyone just kind of really gets into their roles. And Guy Pierce is this classic, I'm qualified, but I don't really want to be here hero. Mm-hmm. And he does a great job of fulfilling that role, but also continuing to be true to exactly the character he is. Instead of a romance, there's no romance at all. Like it, I feel like most action movies shouldn't really have a romantic plot because it just feels forced when it happens. There's no ram- romance. It's very utilitarian. Like, I have to do this to get the job done. Maggie Grace, who at this point is coming off of her time on Lost, and I thought that this would also maybe project her into a little bit more of a career in, in movies and things that did not happen. Uh, the film absolutely bombed. It was a critical mess. The audience did not like it. I mean, even today on on Rotten Tomatoes, even though like last year in April of 2022, it was the number one movie streaming on Netflix. The tomato meter is 37% for critics and 46% for audience. People did not like it. I don't know why. It's a lot of fun. It's a space station diehard it has a little bit of twists and turns. It doesn't give in to exactly what you expect. Then it also pushes the envelope a little too far a couple times to get people out of situations where you're like, of course, they're trapped in a space station. How are they going to get out of here? They're going to have to find some way. It is fun. It is worth the $2.99. You can rent it. It is worth the $5.99 on Amazon to buy it. But... When you do both of those things, Mm -hmm. you need to be aware that most of that money is not going to Luke Besson or anyone who produced this film. Because in 2015, John Carpenter, who created both Escape from New York and Escape from L.A., which are movies starring Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken, who is going to a disparate area to rescue the president's daughter, sued over copyright infringement and absolutely won. And most of the money that if you pay $2.99 to watch the you know Amazon or the Amazon Prime rental or if you buy the DVD for $5.99 on Amazon, all of that money, most of it, is going to John Carpenter. Because just like the classic uh you know uh where vanilla ice claimed that his baseline went Dum da da dum da da dum dum, and <clears throat> Queen and uh, David Bowie's baseline went bum da bum da bum bum. Uh, it doesn't really matter if it's not that different. 
So it's a movie that didn't actually make any money the first time. And now any money that makes later is going to John Carpenter because it is a complete ripoff. One of my favorite parts, though, is if you look on Amazon and you want to buy different versions of the DVD, the cover picture stays the same, except depending on the country, Maggie Grace is holding a gun in some of the pictures. In the movie, she is not remotely holding a gun. She is not like, like does that, that is not her role. She's not shooting anybody. But for some countries, they wanted the heroine to have a gun as well. So that is also false advertising and completely fair. But it is a underrated film. I don't know why Guy Pierce did it. Because at that point in his life, he'd already talked about not wanting to be a star, having turned down blockbuster movies. This seemed a very much like, I don't know if he just needed a check, but it was out of character. And I thought it was going to be a start to his sort of Liam Neeson, like second career being a action hero. Uh, and it never really worked out. But it is, to me, a thoroughly enjoyable movie. Uh, the supporting cast is amazing and you've got people like uh vincent regan who would you you would recognize immediately peter stromare who was one of the the bad guys from fargo uh lenny james who is a classic british actor who was in both lock stock and two smoking barrels and uh snatch as well it, it's a really fun show if you just want to kind of like turn your brain off for a little second and not think about you know, gravity or the fact that they're in a space station. It is a what if could happen if we totally sold out the military industrial prison complex and let them put people in space, which to be fair, we're probably not that far off. Uh, and I can totally see a president accidentally sending his daughter there as a publicity event and having it all go wrong. So it fits a little bit with where we might be in 10, 15 years. And it's a lot of fun. And if you like action movies and if you love Guy Pierce, you should check it out. Again, not streaming free anywhere, but $2.99 on Amazon Prime. It's definitely worth three bucks and the microwave pop. Awesome. Is that the A side? That is the A side. All right. <clears throat> of course, you know, we got Patreon. You can check out our website. We've got merch, asidebside.square.site. Uh, we are on all of the streaming services. We are on YouTube. Please let us know where you're listening. Send us an Instagram. You can send us a Facebook. Uh, please also, if you would like to, we would appreciate um, a uh, like a five-star rating on Apple or a follow or, you know, just recommend us to your friends. And that has been episode 123. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, a like and a, a, like and a share is as good as a follow. <laughs> Thanks, Adam.